The following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Hello, and welcome to the Alien Invasion number 255, recorded on Sunday, February 24th, 2019. I'm Anessa, along with my co-host, Brad. Hello. As is the norm, we'll be talking about aliens and alien-related things in this episode. What sorts of things? A modified CPAP mask gives sci-fi writer Jared Gray much joy. New letters have been added to the genetic sequencing library that could explain the possible formation of alien life, and the new Lambden Heights UFO sighting from 1999. Along with all of this, we'll also be doing a review of the movie Annihilation. But before all of that, though, our question. Do you think aliens pass gas? And if so, is it the same way that humans do? Poot poot. (laughs) (laughs) well i guess it would depend i'm going to look at it this way if they're eating organic matter most likely well no i bet you hordas fart (laughs) (laughs) because if you're using like an acid or something to break stuff down you're gonna have some sort of gaseous waste yeah that makes sense. And I was thinking about like Doctor Who and the family Slitheen and how just flatulent they were and made me wonder if aliens would pass gas normally and would it just be through the same method that we would probably like burping, farting, or do you think it would be somehow emitted through like their skin? That'd be kind of weird, but I don't know how practical that would be for an alien being. Yeah, I guess it would really depend on how they digested and how stuff circulated through their system. Yeah. uh, (laughs) That's a very good question. And would a gaseous alien pass gas? Hmm. Hmm. I suppose then you have the whole light beings. Do they... Do they flatulate photons? You don't know. Little sparks flying every time they poop. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be harder to hide. <laughs> Next time on Fart Talk. <laughs> and now for the news. <laughs> oh, goodness. We're we're nine. It's awesome. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I'm acting my shoe size. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for the news, um, sci-fi author turned sleep apnea mask into alien face hugger. Bonus, it works. Sci-fi author Jared Gray has turned a sleep apnea mask into a face hugger from Alien. 
When penning the script for Alien, which was originally titled Star Beast, which I did not know, co-writers Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusset struggled to come with come up with an interesting way for the titular monster to get on board the spaceship. The solution came to Sushit, Sushit, Susit, Shusit. I'm really bad with this last name. I'm sorry. I'm probably butchering it. Anyway, the solution came suddenly that a crew member would be implanted by an alien creature. And when they're brought back to the ship, that seed would explode out of them. Spoiler alert. The writers took their script around to various studios, but only B-movie producer Roger Corman was interested in making it initially. They caught a break when Star Wars became a surprise smash hit for Fox, and there was a sudden rush to greenlight projects set in space. Producers Walter Hill and David Geiler came across the script for Alien, and while they mostly hated it, they knew the, quote, chestburster scene would be great. They set about rewriting the script, including returning, or including turning the Ripley character into a woman in the process, and hired Ridley Scott to direct. O'Bannon had previously worked with famed artist H.R. Geiger in an unfilmed adaptation of the sci-fi novel Dune, and recommended him to Scott to design the alien, the facehugger, and anything to do with the derelict ship. Geiger's work on Alien remains groundbreaking over 40 years later, with his designs continuing to haunt audiences. Sci-fi author Jared Gray suffers from a condition called sleep apnea, where a person's breathing can be interrupted during sleep, which can lead to severe health issues. Gray wears a CPAP mask during sleep to combat this, and on his blog, via Design You Trust, he details turning his mask into a face hugger, stating he may as well have fun with it. The face hugger has reappeared in nearly every entry of the alien saga and attaches itself onto a victim's face, paralyzing them while it implants an embryo down their throats. Gray isn't a fan of a CPAP device, but insisted on getting creative with it since it's part of his life now. It was recently revealed an alternate ending shot for Shane Black's The Predator featured a pod opening to reveal a sleeping Ripley wearing a facehugger-style breathing mask. Another alternate ending featuring a grown-up version of Newt wearing the same device, but neither cliffhanger was used in the final cut. This year marks the 40th anniversary of Alien, and a number of tie-ins will celebrate this milestone, including a documentary called Memory, The Origins of Alien, detailing the creation of the original script. A recent report also claimed that two live-action TV series set in the universe were in development, while James Cameron indicated he's trying to convince Neil Blindkamp to resurrect his Alien 5 concept. And this article comes from ScreenRant.com. I'm going to do a screen share with folks so that they can actually see. <laughs> Our YouTube viewers can see what this basically <laughs> it's a how to. Uh, he went to uh, bigbadtoystore.com and they sell a face hugger life size prop replica for $65, not including shipping. But he shows his CPAP mask and hose. And the creepy life-size alien face hugger. And he basically, step-by-step, step, shows how he kind of carves open a space for the mask. And then sort of slits open the, the tail that goes around the neck of the host. And inserts this and uh, gets it all set up. 
and here we have a picture of him wearing the alien face hugger, which he's attached the <laughs> strap to the kind of the fingers that grip the head. It's creepy as hell. And I don't think I could ever sleep like that. Um, <laughs> if I had to wear a CPAP mask, but it's, I'd like to think that I would at least try it because that would be really horrendously creepy. It would, but at the same time, you're going to sleep in the dark. Um, I would imagine, though, it probably gets kind of warm under there because it looks like it goes over his eyes. Yes. So if you're claustrophobic, it's probably not the ideal thing for you. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would definitely have that be a caveat and a warning. Yeah, you might feel a little smothered. I did have the idea of maybe for someone out there that has a CPAP machine to maybe do their mask as kind of a gas mask. <laughs> And they could make a t-shirt that says, are you my mummy? Wow. Too what? Too soon. <laughs> Fine. Doctor Who fans know what we're talking about. Fine. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I, it is, it is. At cool. least that way you could actually see because you'd have eyes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I actually do have a gas mask here in the Nerdatorium where we do our show, which is right up over there which so you do i yeah i suppose you could it seats really good on my face too so yeah that could work not creepy at all nope not at all <laughs> all <for> right cuddling. <clears throat> yeah uh, and oh so sexy in the boudoir <laughs> uh here we go here's my story eight letter genetic code Hints at how alien life might evolve. And this is from chemistryworld.com, which is the uh, Royal Society of Chemistry's website. And here we go. Researchers have created an quote-unquote alien genetic code made out of eight bases instead of the usual four. The expanded genetic alphabet shows how life could arise if organisms never evolved proteins, but instead relied on RNA as their biomolecular workhorse. Life on Earth is built around proteins. They catalyze biochemical reactions and provide cellular structural elements. DNA, on the other hand, acts as a biological information storage unit, while the RNA provides a link between the two. But an expanded genetic code created by Steve Brenner, uh, sorry, Steve Benner of Firebird Bio Biomolecular Sciences uh, in the U.S. and his team of xenobiologists shows that this template for life might not be the only feasible one. Their eight-letter DNA has additional functionality and translates into RNA that behaves more like a protein, making life without them a possibility. The artificial DNA has many of the characteristics that support evolution in natural DNA. Not only does it store information, it can uh, also be translated into RNA using a mutated polymerase uh, enzyme. This is because Benner's base pairs integrate seamlessly with natural ones. They can be placed anywhere within the DNA strand without disrupting the double helix structure, which is a key aspect for evolution which requires base pairs to be interchangeable. 
Uh, many unnatural base pairs scientists have created over the past two decades stick together due to hydrophobic interactions. But without hydrogen bonds to hold the pairs in an edge-on arrangement, they can slip on top of each other and collapse the double helix. Benner and his colleagues decided to mimic nature and use hydrogen-bonded base pairs, although they altered the pattern of the bond donors and acceptors. Proteins, Benner says, might not be the only possible building block for life. It's quite conceivable that an alien life form, Vulcan, shall we say, the efforts proceeded like they did on Earth to improve the RNA. But the life form did not invent proteins, but continued to improve RNA to make a bigger alphabet with functional groups. So, quote unquote, Vulcan life could very well not have proteins at all. But eight-letter DNA might also have some applications closer to home. With eight letters instead of four, a five-base sequence has more than 32,000 possible variations instead of just the 1,024. This could be a boon for biomolecular data storage. Hmm. Benner's team is also working on diagnostic and therapeutic applications. Uh, he's quoted as saying, we've evolved pieces of eight-letter DNA to bind to breast cancer cells, bind to liver cancer cells, and to anthrax toxins. And some of them may even have catalytic activity, he says. Benner says he purposefully didn't build alien DNA to be self-sufficient, because if I do that, it creates a biohazard, and I have to spend my time explaining why it won't escape the lab and take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> so he was responsible with it. Right. It is purely theoretical, <laughs> but it sounds like it's completely doable. Right. Yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about. But I mean, it's it's kind of cool because then I, I kind of feel like whenever we're searching for alien life, we talk about, you know, different alien species and whatnot, but we never really think <laughs> about their DNA so much and how it's structured. Yeah, I want to get back to the, I mentioned the Horda and farting earlier <laughs> in the show. But like in Star Trek and the original series, the Horda were the only silicon-based life form they'd ever encountered. So it was, you know, it, it was made from an entirely different, we're, we're carbon-based, they're silicon-based. So that probably means that their DNA structure would be completely different. So it was kind of an interesting introduction, at least to me, to thinking about, and probably a lot of other people, thinking about how alien life, instead of just being something in a rubber mask, could right. actually scientifically be from another material. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this lends itself to actually helping us imagine in a, in a more doable way how something like that could actually happen. Right. And God help us if they actually <laughs> tested it. It had better be quadruple lockdown because... That could that could be bad if it were not under full control. Oof. What would it do? I don't know. Well, at least he was suitably scared. So uh, <laughs> we'll just assume that it probably wouldn't be all that great. So there you go. That is my story about alien genetic code. Neat. Boom. Science. Science. And now sightings. 
Yeah. So I found this article that talked about massive black triangle UFO over New Lambton Heights in 1999. And I believe that's in Australia, or at least that's where the article comes from. It comes from the herald.com.au. So, all right. So Dean Vern Garner has kept a secret for 20 years. He thinks about it often, but hardly speaks about it because he has no proof. The memory came back vividly recently when he was throwing out old newspapers kept for painting. One fell on the floor. It contained a story published in this column in November 2017 about Jeff and Mary Masters. Dean hadn't come across the story until then. The couple had shared their story about seeing a massive black triangle-shaped UFO from their Edgeworth front yard one night in the late 1990s. Dean, who owns Vern's Guitar Clinic at Walsend, had a similar experience. It was 1999, around November. It was a hot, crystal clear night. You could see the stars. There was no breeze, he said. And yeah, that would make it Australia because there's no hot, crystal clear nights in Wisconsin (laughs) in November. In November, no. (laughs) So anyway, so it was November 1999. He was living in Grandview Road at New Lambton Heights on top of a ridge. That night, he was having a barbecue. At about 11 p.m., he was outside talking to a mate about the forthcoming new year. Suddenly, they could see what appeared to be a fire down low behind the trees. They also thought it could be lightning. Then the orange light started to rise up. It rose above the eucalypt trees, he said. We could see it coming towards us. I said, we're about to find out what this thing is. We were absolutely stunned. I said, what the hell is that? This thing was coming towards us at no more than 25 kilometers per hour. It was about 30 meters high, just above the tallest eucalyptus tree. As it approached us, the hairs on our neck and arms stood up. We were in deep shock. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. A massive triangular-shaped craft flew above them. So yeah, he said that the UFO had five lights, including a massive orange light in its center. It was kind of like the inside of an orange when you cut an orange in half, he said. The light itself, he said, was about three quarters the size of a football field. The triangular craft was much bigger. It appeared to be made of a substance that he likened to, quote, black glass or titanium, unquote. This thing was absolutely huge. It was 50 to 100 times the size of a, of a 747, he estimated. It was a massive ship. It seemed to float on air. There were no engines, no flames, no sounds. It was completely silent. It was absolutely beautiful. It came from another world, an advanced world. We had the distinct impression that we and everything around us were being filmed. We don't know why. We just had that feeling. So, again, that came from theherald.com.au. Yeah, it's kind of wild. There are pictures on online, and maybe Brad can show you. Yeah, and I think it's more of a artistic representation of what they saw that night (laughs) otherwise these would be like the clearest pictures i've ever seen of an alien sighting or a ufo sighting but yeah you have this large triangular object that's in the air and they have a kind of a side-by-side comparison in one of the photos which i i like for scale for like a 747 and the size of this triangular ufo but yeah i can't even imagine something that large floating around silent (laughs) i think that's like the biggest thing is just it's not making any noise 
which would be kind of creepy to me for an aircraft that close. Yeah, pulling this up, I noticed that they have a story uh, like a that was published in 2017. A flying saucer landed at Lambton Park in the 1950s. Is that the one where the kids saw it? Like yep. everybody came out of the school? Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was the same or place. Wait. No. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never no, mind. I'm sorry. I'm, I think that one happened in England, didn't it? For some reason, I thought Australia. Maybe I'm... No, maybe you're right. On the wrong continent. We'll have to look it up. Yeah, weird. Uh, it, yeah, this is uh, a very interesting story. So it looks like that area is not... Uh, it's happened before. And an actual landing. Because in that story from the 50s, the, there's a patch of grass that didn't regrow for a while. And now it regrows, but it has like five to seven leaf clovers <laughs> can be found. Hmm. So I think that spot was highly irradiated. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be a safe bet. And it was Australia. That Okay. It was. All right. Westall High School. Yes. Okay. Once you said Westall, then. Bing. Yep. So yeah, Australia's seeing some action. They have. That's a very interesting, very interesting find. And if you, and we'll include the links in the show notes, but if you go to the link, they include another paragraph that talks about a few of the other sightings that were very similar to this one with the black triangular UFO. So if you want to learn now, or learn now, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes. <laughs> if you want to learn more now. <laughs> Seems legit. Oh, yeah. All right. And if you enjoy Alien Invasion and would like to do more than just subscribe, please consider becoming a partner with us. Go to gncasts.com support and click on the Patreon link. Consider sending us a buck or two. Your help will go a long way to helping us grow our content and pay for things like web hosting. <laughs> Patreons will receive, actually, and this is something that we're working on. Um, it kind of got delayed because <laughs> of illness. Like we've just been bouncing around various holds to each other, which is why it's been like a month since we last podcasted. Because yeah. like Brad was sick, Alex was sick, then I got sick with a completely different thing. And then Brad got sick. And <sighs> Mine turned into a sinus infection, and yeah, it was pretty bad. It's been it's been weird in the Ludwig household. Here. <laughs> so, but just to give you guys a, a heads up as to what we're working on, we are working on recording little sci-fi short stories. Depending on the length, we're going to potentially break them up and release them on a regular basis to be determined. But Patreons will receive these sci-fi short stories to listen to. So sign up. And yeah, so gncasts.com slash support. And now we're going to do picks and warnings. And our pick or warning, I don't know, <laughs> is Annihilation. <laughs> Annihilation, the summary on IMDb is very short and doesn't really say much. So a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. This mysterious zone, I'm not really giving anything away, is referred to as the shimmer because it shimmers. And it's thought that there's 
maybe some sort of alien force or something behind this zone, but nobody really knows anything because so far, like everyone that's really gone into the zone hasn't really come out. And I know that this movie stars like Natalie Portman as one of the leading characters. Oscar Isaac makes a couple of appearances. Um, there's Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gina Rodriguez. Tessa Thompson. Yep. Benedict Wong. Whole cast of characters. Yep. So, yeah, that I guess would be the shortest summary. But um, as mentioned, everyone that's gone in hasn't come out um, up until the beginning of the movie, which kind of sparks the drive for this biologist played by Natalie Portman to want to go into the zone to like learn more. And it's really kind of an interesting story because there's a really rapid evolutionary thing going on within this zone. And there are points where it's kind of creepy. I feel like the ending gets a little muddled, but it makes you think. Yeah. And, and I is, don't really want to give anything away. <laughs> it's based off of a series of books, a series of three books. And how true it is to the books, I have no idea. But I know that the in the books, the character that Natalie Portman is playing appears at least in the first and the third. I can't remember if she's in the second from reading the kind of the overview, the synopsis of the books. But I think overall, the whole series seemed to be a bit of a head scratcher. Right. And it's definitely meant to make you think about life in general, but not just life but and not just alien life there are metaphors for a lot of different things in the books so it's meant to be a multi-level head scratcher we'll call it that yes and the books if you're interested in reading them as brad mentioned it was a trilogy the annihilation books it's called the southern reach trilogy and they're written by jeff vandermeer so if you want to check those out, feel free. Let us know how it goes. I may or may not read them someday, but my list just keeps growing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I work with people that are like, here, read this. And we're friends with people that are like, here, read this. So, yeah. <laughs> the pile grows by the day. It does. <laughs> so, yeah. So would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I would. And I would for I would for multiple reasons because the not just the actresses involved and it's I mean it's it's a female led sci-fi film which is incredibly rare. Right. All of the characters are fully formed. All of them are interesting. All of them have their own specialties, but all of them have their own Unique personalities and stories that you get to kind of get a peek into who they are and kind of why they are the way they are to a certain degree. But also the imagining of this kind of wild evolution. I don't want to give anything away, but there's one particular creature that they come across, which is just absolutely mind-numbingly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I used the restroom before we watched the film is all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, because if I came face to face with that, I would hope I was wearing brown trousers. Um, I thought it was really well done. And I, I would actually watch it again just to see if there was anything that I missed. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Boom. 
sweet. <laughs> and I believe we saw it on Netflix or Amazon. I believe it was Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I believe Amazon has the streaming. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream it through there or you can rent or purchase. I don't know that I would purchase it right away. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch it first and be like, man, yeah. I really love that movie. I need to watch it repeatedly. Then I would purchase it. I have a feeling that it might be something you either love or you hate. Right. I can see that. I'm, I'm not sure if there is a, a middle ground with that. I think I'm kind of in the middle ground. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like, I enjoyed it, but there were just some things that I wasn't like the biggest fan. And I would, I kind of feel though it's because it's like you're putting like stuff from three books into a movie. So there were bits to me that seemed kind of rushed and not really explained. Like I said, to me, the ending was kind of muddled, but it makes you think as far as like what happened. Yeah. But you, it, it does have what I would call a French ending. So, yeah. And no offense, but it's, <laughs> you know, and quite honestly, if you were to compare American cinema to cinema of especially France and Germany, they leave a lot of things open. Yeah. And we, uh, as a as a culture, enjoy movies with closure. Right. And this does not have closure. And I'm not sure if they were trying to set it up to do a possible sequel, which they could have done. Right. I don't know if they're trying to do like the trilogy to go along with the books, because I don't know what was in the books that made it to the movie. Yeah. So. But it was, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind watching it again, though. Just like you said, to see if there's anything that I missed or maybe didn't understand the first time that I can better understand the second time. But yeah, the movie again was Annihilation and it came out just this past year, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 2017, 2018, maybe. 2018, I yeah. believe. Okay. Oh, yeah, because I think it was a fairly recent release. Uh, No, it came out February 23rd, 2018. So a year ago. This past year. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah. There you go. Boom. So, that's going to do it for this edition of The Alien Invasion, <laughs> a Galactic Netcast production. If you'd like to read more about the stories that we covered on this episode or other content we've covered, click on the links in the show notes. We would like to thank Monkey Warhol for providing our intro music. It's a song called Alien Syndrome. And you can find it at monkeywarhol.bandcamp.com. Also to Retvard von Dernberg, a composer from Germany, for our closing song called Be Water. Learn more about him and his music at thecaravel.net. Also, thanks to Ben Olson for recording our disclaimer audio at the start of this episode. Thanks, Ben. And you can find more about him at benolson.com. And thank you for joining us on this episode hopefully we don't get sick anymore <laughs> that would be ideal so final thoughts let's not get sick and hope this uh blizzard thing goes away very quickly and we when we're done with snow i am very done with snow yeah, it's, it's i mean hard. seriously it's we've hard. been getting like seven eight inches ago <laughs> i missed like last year it was like a couple inches here a couple inches there one big dump the yeah. end <laughs> so yeah all right thanks again for joining us and have a good night okay bye bye
This has been a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to GNCast.com.